Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Season 2 of Behind the Ops with Tulip Interfaces. My name is Kyle Oberholzer. I'll be your host. I'm Tulip's program manager for our Tulip Experience Center here in the heart of Boston. Today, we have two lovely friends joining us from Sequence Quality and Compliance Solutions. We have Samir Patel and Justin Cook. Hey there. How's it going? Hey, Justin here. Hello, everyone. So when we've worked with Sequence, we've done a lot of really interesting things, and we've seen you guys do even more interesting things about your solutions that you're making in the life sciences manufacturing space. And I want to get to that in a little bit. But first, uh, I really just want to learn more about yourselves. Justin, maybe you can start. Uh, tell me a little bit more about yourself and how you got into this role in this this career. Sure, Kyle. Thanks. Um, so again, my name is Justin Cook. I came into the pharma industry, I guess, 2007 and entered that space doing very much of what I didn't understand at the time. I came in working with some process control systems. I was writing final reports, et cetera. But ahead of that, I came out of the bearing manufacturing industry. So by degree, I'm a mechanical engineer. So didn't really envision myself doing what I'm doing today. However, it has been tremendously helpful along the way. But I started out doing some different bearing design, applying different failure analysis, et cetera, to customer failures for bearings, et cetera. And then I got a call one day to, to come into the pharmaceutical industry. And, you know, it was doing some different things with process control, as I mentioned. And that interested me from some things I had done in my collegiate career. And I decided, you know what, I want to pursue something in, you know, automation and, and something along those lines. So that's kind of really what brought me into the life sciences industry. And since then, I've had different roles that have afforded me the opportunity to, to lead large projects. So I've, I've served as, a, as an individual contributor where I've done different things through commissioning of equipment systems, commissioning of, of automation systems. I've worked heavily with configuration of automation, integration of automation systems, et cetera. And then ultimately, I've done various project management efforts on multi-million dollar projects, et cetera. I've served in engineering management roles where I've done some of the people management side. And then, of course, the project management's uh, more the deliverable management where we're helping clients achieve their end goals. And we're certainly applying different project management principles to try to help them get there efficiently and, and meeting budget, et cetera. So uh, that brings me to today where, you know, still trying to support that initiative of, of working with our clients on achieving their project goals and getting them across the finish line faster. So what we refer to as speed to market, trying to get them from a developed drug to a manufactured drug as quickly as possible. That's really cool. It's really interesting how you came there from mechanical engineering. I'm a mechanical engineer myself, and obviously I'm not doing that anymore. I've moved more into manufacturing and demo and showroom stuff, but it's funny how those things kind of fork away. What do you think carried over that sounds kind of similar, though? When you're working in this life sciences space, what do you see that reminds you of stuff that you did um, when you're working with bearings and when you're working as more of a mechanical engineer? No, I think um, even going back to some of the theory that's, uh, you know, that was poured into me in college, you know, I think, you know, the nice thing, I guess I would argue about mechanical engineering is just the, the broad diversity that you get uh, right. across different topics, right? So you're, you're getting some exposure to computer programming, you get some exposure to the electrical distribution side of things, you get exposure to fluid dynamics and pipe flow and 
And certainly when I went into to bearings, I think that the thing that parallels there is just the general manufacturing struggles that you have. I mean, there's there's certainly a sequence of trying to take a raw material and manipulate it to achieve a final product. And so you're you're, you're seeing the same struggles that clients are facing with trying to do things more efficiently, trying to reduce human error, trying to reduce equipment downtime, et cetera. So, you know, there's a lot of that that overlaps my experience in bearing manufacturing to pharma now where you're dealing with very similar things of, of taking a raw material and trying to manipulate it to achieve your end goals. Interesting. That's really, really cool. Thank you. And Samir, tell us about yourself. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, my name's Samir Patel. I kind of fell into the life science industry when I graduated from East Carolina here in uh, North Carolina. All the computer jobs were pretty much tanking, and I applied anything with the word computer, and I had ended up falling into computer systems validation. And the lucky thing was I didn't uh, really enjoy coding that much, but I really enjoyed the troubleshooting and finding out why things are going wrong and helping fix those problems. So luckily enough, that's that's a lot of what uh, computer systems validation was, although there was a lot more documentation that I would have ever imagined doing. So that was where I ended up. And having the background of computer science really did help a lot. You know, learning the software development lifecycle really helps even till today in figuring out, you know, why there's a, a method to the madness of getting a system out and usable without as many errors as you would uh, hope for. So that's kind of where I started. So I'm, I'm curious, since you've been working a sequence on, you know, a number of different projects, is there anything that you find that you were surprised to be encountering? Anything that you found that I didn't think that I would have to do this in my role, or I didn't think that I'd have to tackle this kind of problem? <laughs> right now, we, we work with some of the top manufacturers in the world, Pfizer's, Biogen, GSK, you, you name it, Moderna. And sometimes we are working at facilities that are up for awards like facility of the year. But then when you go into some of these places, they'll have shiny videos of you know everything working optimally. And then when you start digging down into what's happening paper starts coming about everywhere. You're realizing that there's a lot more paper processes than you would have thought for being in a facility that's, you know, almost about to win these big awards. So the whole paper process side of things is always a big surprise, especially when it's a newer facility. And what what do you think, Justin? Yeah, no, I I think maybe when I first got in, I, I would argue maybe the paper was a surprise to me, but maybe not so much from a production and manufacturing standpoint, but just how much paperwork that I was having to do uh, <laughs> coming coming from bearing manufacturing. I certainly didn't have the paperwork that required so much of the dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And certainly since then, I've understood the importance of the documentation and making sure that we're keeping product quality and patient safety paramount throughout everything that, that we do and the data integrity and how important that is. But it's interesting that Samir brings that up that, you know, what's surprising and has been surprising to me uh, a little bit, especially coming from the mechanical engineering background, is just how much I, I'm seeing currently, maybe more so just over even the last couple of years where there's a big transition, a big push to try to get away from that particular exorbitant amount of paper that's being used throughout production. Because I, I would agree, you see these facilities that seem to have a lot of technology, but I, I feel like my experience in pharma compared to other industries is that pharma certainly lags behind a little bit with the technology that's being incorporated and you know how much there's a willingness 
to, you know, offset the testing concerns and some other things that may present hurdles that I think have held life sciences back from really taking advantage of a lot of the technological advancements that we see out there with bringing on computerized systems and replacing the paperwork. So I think what's surprising me currently and over the last couple of years is how I think we're starting to see a little bit of a tip in that scale a little bit to where I think clients are starting to open up a little bit and seeing the challenges of keeping the paperwork and how much human error is you know involved in keeping the paperwork and where we're seeing that transition to a lot of the computer driven processes, et cetera. And that's exciting for me, but also surprising, you know, again, coming from mechanical engineering, I didn't see myself working so heavily with automated systems and computer systems, but I'm certainly one to, to self-proclaim geek status. So I, <laughs> I, I appreciate the move toward computerized stuff. So yeah, that's interesting because you got to imagine all these sites, you know, have mountains on mountains of records and files and paper records going back, you know, decades on decades. So if somebody even says, hi, I want to tomorrow or whatever, get rid of all my paper and then just start doing everything in a computer system or doing everything in the cloud or what have you, how do you even start to tackle that kind of thing? Because that feels like a super mountainous amount of backlog that you really have to work through before you can even set up anything new. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of that is, you know, goes back to lean manufacturing and lean processes and figuring out the process in general and what steps can be moved and moved in, in a way that actually saves you time electronically. Because there are times where the paper actually makes a lot of sense, especially when you're talking about interconnectivity of systems and getting a piece of data from one system and then having to input it somewhere else. Can you efficiently move that into an electronic process? Then, you know, it comes down to planning and picking the right systems to make sure that those systems can be interconnected and move data from one spot and be safe and secure at the same time. Yeah, I guess I would just add that from the cultural perspective that I was kind of alluding to earlier, it's getting the buy-in from higher level business stakeholders and trying to generate a culture, you know, at that particular site or even a across that organization to try to get the buy-in and the support to say, hey, we're willing to change despite what we feel to be maybe a heavy testing burden, et cetera. But I think what's nice about what we're seeing now is that FDA guidance and other industry guidance is not trying to present a hurdle to these clients. I think they're trying to encourage the innovation. And I think some of the more recent guidance is trying to put some fuel into this move into, you know, embracing new technologies and innovation. And I think the FDA has recognized that some of the things that's been put out there has maybe dampened that move towards innovation and that kind of thing. And so I think it's a cultural shift that's got to happen. You know, the challenges might be that there's been folks that have been in this industry for 20 plus years, and they're kind of having a struggle to navigate some of the new guidance and really being bought into the fact that, hey, maybe we could take a risk-based approach toward testing and implementation of these new systems so that it's not such a burden to try to embrace a new technological advancement, et cetera, for our process. I think that's probably one of the bigger things. And then I guess sequentially speaking, you know, there's plenty of guidance out there to start to plan out that approach, as Samir mentioned, and try to go through that platform selection and, you know, develop some user requirements that can help you in the procurement process, working with software vendors, to truly nail down exactly what you need that software to be able to do to, in essence, replace your current manual process. 
so that you can have an effective implementation that's somewhat seamless, you know, so that you're not running into issues once you've tried to implement this new technology that you're not taking steps backwards, but only this seamless transition into something that's going to be beneficial over the long term. You know, one of the things that I see when we're, you know, constructing demos and seeing how different customers are using our software and our hardware and things like that is that we uh, see in a couple different verticals the breakdown between human-led things, right? We're doing, you know, work instructions, we're scanning barcodes, we're doing whatever. And machine-led things, we're taking the RPM of a CNC mill or we're taking the weight of a feed bin or what have you. This breakdown of data source from machine to person really varies based on the industry and the vertical and the application and all these things. And I'm curious, we've talked a lot about paper records here, which are primarily human required to write something on the paper. But do you think that there's anything different or special about the life sciences space about this breakdown? Are people trying to also monitor their, you know, machines and equipment as well as their people? Or is the main problem that's trying to be attacked here the user augmentation part, really, the record keeping? So I absolutely think that there is the need for a situation where we have machine generated data this whole idea of automating a process, it has to involve machine automation, turning pumps on at specific times, turning agitators on at specific times, uh, being able to monitor temperature and flow, et cetera. So I think where we really saw you know, a big push in this direction, when ICH starts to push quality by design concepts, you're definitely headed down a path of starting to incorporate instrumentation that monitors your process, that supports the control of your process. And so there is certainly data that's generated at the machine level that ultimately needs to find its way into a batch record. It needs to find its way into a data historian. It needs to supplement what you might otherwise be getting from an integrated scale into an MES platform or you know, an operator entry that's manually recorded into a batch record electronically where they're inputting a weight of a certain raw material that they're adding or actions that they're taking through the work instructions, as you mentioned. And I honestly think, you know, we look heavily at at the International Society of Automation Standard S95 with full enterprise implementations. And I think as we keep hearing the terminology pharma 4.0, et cetera, this is where I see the lag in pharma, right? Because I, I think pharma 4.0 is lagging behind industry 4.0 because I think we're seeing other industries that are already headstrong into this digital transformation where they're already really leveraging MES platforms, et cetera, for more than just production control through work instructions and trying to guide an operator to take particular actions. And maybe even more than just trying to interface with a process control system to gather machine data and, you know, trying to maybe even manipulate the operational sequence, but that they're interfacing with the ERPs and truly integrating production control and acquiring quality data and, and really having this full enterprise. And then I think beyond that, even probably even interfacing with raw material suppliers and really getting a gauge on you know, where they stand with raw material production and have they manipulated anything in their process that could impact quality of the product. So I think when we really think about Pharma 4.0 down the line, it's even going beyond the walls of that facility and starting to look at getting data from suppliers, et cetera. And I would argue maybe the data integrity part and the cybersecurity elements are 
are likely challenges that will have to be overcome in pharma that maybe other industries have a little bit more flexibility to navigate through that a little more nimbly. And maybe that's why they're a little further along. But I certainly think to your question, the machine interfacing is something we see very regularly. And even beyond that, I think it's got to expand. And I think we're seeing it expand even beyond that interface. Right. And then looking forward was an interesting point that you brought up as well. Seeing how these things change as, you know, the pharma 4.0 idea coalesces and progresses is going to be really interesting. Um, One thing that I've noticed at Tulip primarily as hardware, we make electronics and Lord knows we've been certainly affected by the whole current situation regarding, you know, supply chain delays and impacts and different logistics changes and things of that nature. So I'm curious in this vision of, you know, the future of pharma manufacturing, as it were, do you think that anything has changed or has been brought to light based on the current COVID scene? And in, you know, a couple of years, do you think anything will have been different because of it? Yeah, I think a lot has changed. The speed to market, like Justin mentioned earlier, is something that we're hearing over and over and over. We were able to get our COVID vaccines out in record-breaking amount of time. Nothing's ever been released public um, in recent years that quickly and with the safety and efficacy that it has worked. And I think a lot of that, we could be thankful for technology and where it's going and that the connectors that we're really getting to use and be more effective using are really coming into play. That's where all these disparate systems are able to talk to each other a little bit more than we've ever even imagined, especially thinking back from, you know, starting our careers. Now that we're able to analyze what's happening in between these processes and see where the issues were, where things were going slow, you know, as you mentioned, where a piece of equipment may be about to fail and being able to predict some of these things and get ahead of the problems that may arise is is big. And I think it's going to keep getting bigger, um, especially as we move forward with platforms like Tulip, where there's low code and no code kind of interfaces, and it allows you to build elaborate processes that used to take uh, just hours and days, weeks, years even, to help your manufacturing line run. But now you can get these processes out and tested and implemented, I mean, it's, it's kind of game-changing. Right. Yeah. I'm going to be curious how, you know, different industries adapt to it in a different way based on, you know, the speeds that we've been talking about and the ways that progress needs to be made and can be made in, in these different spaces. But overall, this has been really, really interesting to talk to you guys. I guess I'd be curious if you guys have any advice or feedback or notes for aspiring manufacturing engineers, especially aspiring people who are interested in doing anything in the life sciences manufacturing space or even the manufacturing solutions space. I'm going to let Cook take this one. He is inspiring (laughs) our new employees, which we're actually getting a lot of kids out of school nowadays who are just so advanced in the way they speak, the way they take in knowledge. Cook's been able to really inspire these people. He is actually the head of our training initiative at Sequence and a lot more than that. So, you know, I've gotten to work with him and and learned a lot from this guy. (laughs) Man, I... I certainly appreciate that, Samir. uh, (laughs) That's one heck of an intro. It was, and I I certainly enjoyed working alongside Samir as well and glad to be on this call with him. And I will say, you know, he's exactly right that these folks are, you know, I I think it speaks to what some of the universities are doing. I think they're they're catching on as well to 
where life sciences is headed and the kind of process science. I mean, the, the unique thing that we're seeing now is, you know, with this gene therapy and, and moving in that direction where we're seeing almost some cookie cutter process science type things getting implemented over and over and certainly seeing a surge in contract manufacturing that's going on, et cetera. And, you know, I think the universities are catching on to that and they're certainly equipping and preparing their folks to be able to interface with what I would claim to be silo driven. You know, we, we, we've all experienced that vertical. I think you mentioned before, we'd, we'd go to different client sites and they certainly had their verticals departments, if you will, that were somewhat siloed and people in the lab didn't know what the people in manufacturing were doing. People in manufacturing didn't really have an idea what IT, you know, was responsible for. And what I think is happening now with this new shift in not only the, the manufacturing process science, but shift toward digital transformation is that you're going to somewhat struggle if you don't know how to correlate some of the IT things with process science. And you're going to be more well-equipped and prepared and confident if you can take some of the process engineering concepts with, you know, what kind of material, what surface finish, what pipe sloping, what size of the pipe, you know, and and folks in school are learning about Bernoulli's and different pipe flow and thermodynamics and heat transfer principles, et cetera. But God, don't remind me of those. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, the challenge these days is that's all great, but there's going to be the exposure that you're going to get to the virtualized networks and how stuff is talking to the cloud and, you know, how this instrument ties into this IO card and gets to this processor and then it's got to get manipulated and scaled. And so I think a challenge for up and coming engineers in this field is, you know, embracing the kind of theory that they feel they've been prepared to do and what they understand they might be going into, but also being ready to embrace a cross-functional mindset where, you know, they're not just going to be in the lab anymore, you know, and I would argue this for people going to become full-time folks. I think what's going to make them better versions of themselves as engineers would be to try to embrace the different things that they'll interface with, right? Whether that's different departments or that's the IT situation going on, the more that they can learn and get their hands on with regard to how everything talks and interfaces in combination with understanding the process then you're going to be a very dynamic resource in the field of life sciences. Yeah, I think uh, one other thing is that the life science industry provides one major difference, I think, is that you're you're getting to actually impact people's lives. And I think uh, all of us at Sequence have to kind of remember that as well. We're working on our different little initiatives for all these different companies and clients. But at the end of the day, we are really impacting products that will help people across the world. And that that is definitely something that's unique to life sciences and, you know, all the engineering and, and other kids that are coming to the industry. That's a big advantage that helps you keep going as you're working day to day. Well, thank you so much. That's really, really good feedback. And I hope people get to act on and get to work with you guys one day. It sounds like it should be fun. <laughs> definitely. We always like to have some fun. That's right. Well, uh, Samir and Justin, thank you so much again for joining us. Kyle, thank you. Yep, Kyle, thank you. Yep. Behind the Ops is brought to you by Tulip. Connect the people, machines, devices, and systems used in your production and logistics processes with our revolutionary no-code frontline operations platform. Visit tulip.co to learn more. This show is produced by Jasmine Chan and edited by Tom Obarski. If you enjoyed listening, support the show by leaving us a quick rating or review. It really helps. 
If you have feedback for this or any other of our episodes, you can reach us at behindtheops at tulip.co. Thank you for listening to Behind the Ops. I'm Kyle Oberholzer, and we'll see you next time.